Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsport show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. This is episode 96, and we're drawing closer, aren't we, to show 100. Um, it seems that we should do something special for the 100th show, but I, um, you know, I really don't quite know what what you do, honestly. I mean, it's it's kind of one of those when you're when you're looking at well we've w- w- this is our hundredth show that we've done, my goal for it would be the same as the first one was, which in this case for this particular brand, if you will, the inside groove super modified podcast, it's a historical perspective. I brought this show back in i think it was early twenty nineteen I brought it back um because Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. This is episode 96, and we're drawing closer, aren't we, to show 100. Um, it seems that we should do something special for the 100th show, but I, um, you know, I really don't quite know what what you do, honestly. I mean, it's it's kind of one of those when you're when you're looking at well we've w- w- this is our hundredth show that we've done, my goal for it would be the same as the first one was, which in this case for this particular brand, if you will, the inside groove super modified podcast, it's a historical perspective. I brought this show back in i think it was early twenty nineteen I brought it back um because there wasn't in in my opinion there wasn't i was the only national media covering super modified racing really other than what little speed sport would do with you know the magazine or whatever there'd be an article once in a while and they of course they they were doing the classic and and several other races on their mav tv show which was awesome but in terms of sort of weekly coverage, there was really nobody. I would get to the track and there was no media there. And it um, kind of it broke my heart. I mean, you know, I think I still think even as for for all the issues that big block supers have uh, in this day and age, I don't I still don't think there's a more exciting form of racing to watch. Um, so. You know, I love supers and, and uh, that's why we brought it back. But I but I brought it back with the idea that I wanted to because we started to lose some of the, uh, you know, some of the 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 drivers that were the heroes of my day in the 70s. And, you know, I I really in the program wasn't being produced anymore. Um, the Oswego Speedway Eagle. And so that's why I brought the show back. I wanted to interview a lot of those guys. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I've enjoyed uh, the first 95 shows and, and, and it's been my honor and my pleasure to be able to sit down with guys like Kempton Dates and Bentley and Warren Conium and, um, 
so many others, Johnny Spencer and Gary Albritton and um, Dave McKnight. I mean, the list goes on. Um, Steve Joya. And um, they have been so gracious. And we've got more that we, we're going to get to for this year. Um, and so that's why I brought the show back. So I really don't know, honestly, um, other than something that would take a whole lot more production time than I have to put together like a, a complete hour-long montage of, of pieces of, of some or all of the interviews that we've done, which would be amazing, but um, it, would, it would take uh, take two days to put that together, right? Um, you know, I don't really know what that means, but, I, but I, just the fact that enough of you listen to this and those of you who are, are willing to support it, um, you know, that, that have allowed it to get to this point to where I could even think about, you know, the hundredth show coming up in a few weeks is pretty special and pretty humbling. So thank you all for that. Uh, really appreciate that. Okay. So what are we doing on this show? Um, the main objective of this particular episode is two things. Number one, we're going to, uh, dip back to 1972 once again. And this time I have to thank Robert Metcalf. Um, so thankful to God that he has brought Robert through his, or at least most of the way through his, uh, recovery from cancer, uh, and thankful that, um, he is back and, uh, and was, he was kind enough to, we, we have some programs, Larry Trinka and I have kind of, uh, become the dynamic duel for, for this segment. Um, Larry graciously offered to take pictures of the relevant pages of all of the 72 Eagles, 1972 Eagles that I don't have so that we can get as much of the season as possible in. Now I'm going to tell you later what ones we still need, but, um, Robert Metcalf stepped up big time and thanks to Robert, I have number four. This is the fourth Eagle of 1972. And uh, I don't have the actual program, but he sent me all the photos that he took of it. Um, and we're going to go through, we're going to tell you what happened in week three. There were twin fifties. And so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll tell you what happened in week three. Uh, and so that's the, the first purpose. The second purpose is we're going to talk about um, the racing that's upcoming. And we already had one show at Evans Mills that took place over this past weekend. Michael Muldoon got the win. It was the first smack tour. I feel like that needs a sound effect. Like when every time I say smack, it should be a, you know, something like a smack sound, like somebody's smacking something. Um, but uh, the first smack tour uh, race took place uh, at Evans Mills and, and 18 cars turned out. It was great, uh, which we'll talk about that and talk about the racing upcoming in the month of May, because this is a big month for super modified racing. So we'll get to that as well. And uh, we will do all of that. Uh, and also, of course, we'll have some discussion about the 96. And by the way, um, <laughs> I am becoming, uh, I don't know how this happens, but 95, I mean, look, it was, that was a tough show. Um, I was, I was in the middle of my week of pneumonia um, and, uh, we obviously had a very heavy subject to talk about. And so, um, 
we got by the time I got to the number 95, somehow my aging brain, which takes really more frequent naps lately, um, (laughs) did not even uh, have the presence of mind to uh, think about Dave Schulich in the current 95, um, who is winning about everything and who I think honestly, and I talked about this with somebody a couple weeks ago, there's seven Oswego rules. I'm not going to say non-wing anymore because there's a wing. It's just on the tail. Um, seven Oswego rules, super modified races this year. And I do think Dave has a chance to win them all. I really honestly think we could see a seven race sweep. Um, and that'll probably start something, but okay. I'm just telling you what I believe. I, I'm not saying it will happen, but I'm saying, I believe that there is absolutely a reasonable possibility that Dave Schillick wins all seven of those races. Um, it, the, the car is just that good, but um, we'll, we'll see what happens. It'll be uh, interesting. But anyways, sorry, Dave, and sorry to Chris Osetic. I, uh, I, did, I did realize it in time to uh, reference it when I posted the show, but because I, when I listened back to it, I just was, I started laughing. I'm like, how could you have... So uh, that's my second Jack Patrick moment of the year because I forgot poor Jack when I when when I did show 90. I forgot Jack, too. So um, I don't know. Just uh, I, again, when you're when you're focused on the history, I guess I'm I just don't think enough about uh, current day. So that uh, uh, that was kind of uh, silly. But anyway, um, so this is show 96 and um, I don't think i have too much to worry about with that number because again it's not been an off to use number but we'll talk about that at the end of the show as well okay with that uh we're gonna step aside when we come back we will dive into the 1972 season and we're going to talk about week three and what went on there are two features to talk about we'll talk about them both and talk about what was going on back then Uh, When we come back, stay tuned for more of Inside Groove right after this. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster soup salad they even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert i love their haddock pieces that's one of my favorites uh and they just have great food it is the best fish in the port city i'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show it is one of the first places that i go to eat every time i'm in town so call skips fish fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com and by the way You can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Welcome back to Inside Groove, episode number 96. And let's uh, take it back, shall we? Turn back the clock. 50 years to 1972 again this courtesy of robert metcalf thank you good sir for helping us out with uh the program that we needed for week number three 
of the season. This is actually the fourth program, and Storm and Norman Mackrath in the Hagen Howard Chevy was on the cover. Hot pink wheels. Okay? Nobody in the Oswego Speedway pit area in 2022 is likely to have hot pink wheels on their car. But 50 years ago, Norm Mackrath did. And uh, that car was fast as well. Okay, so what happened in week three of 1972? Well, we had twin 50s and we had two different winners. Baldy Baker in the Miles Barker Wiseman number 93 ended up uh, picking up one of the features and the other feature went to the 37 of Freddie Graves. You know, we'll get we'll get to some discussion on that car in due course here. So here is what was written in the program about uh, the here's the feature recap from week three of 1972. Here goes. Baldy Baker of Stroudsburg, Ohio, and Freddie Graves of nearby Central Square each sported one feature win in last Saturday night's Twin 50s features here at the Oswego Speedway. Baldy brought the 93 home first in the first feature, while Fred drove the 37 to the top spot in the second 50-lap segment. But the overall big winner of the night was Baldy, with a first and second place finish for his night's work, totaling over $1,675 for the popular Ohio Throttler. At the outset of the first 50-lapper, Baldy, starting for the pole position, blasted off to a large lead, leaving the rest of the pack fighting away for second spot. Fred Graves came along and took over second, but midway through the feature tangled with a lap car on the front chute, resulting in the 37 spinning wildly down into the first turn where Freddie tapped the outside wall. He was towed to the pits for repairs. This left Don McLaren and Jimmy Champagne fighting away for second, as even on the restart, neither driver could muster any challenge to Baker. When the checkered came down, Baldy held a good straightaway lead over McLaren, who finished second, and the eight ball of Champagne, who finished third. Jim Cheney piloted the Holinsky car 19 to a fine fourth-place finish, while Bob Stelder rounded out the top five with the Solvay car 04. The second 50-lapper proved to be much more exciting. There was the usual scramble to the front after Norm Bacon dropped the green flag and coming quickly up through the field was Jim Champagne in his eight ball. Not too far behind was Freddie Graves while Jim Cheney, Don McLaren, Kempton Dates, and Baldy Baker put on a fine battle for third. As the race wore on, Champagne seemed to have everything well in hand, holding a comfortable lead over the rest of the field. But then... Champagne began smoking very badly, and it was apparent the popular clay ace was losing oil, and the eight ball was black flagged to the pit area, and thus the lead was given to Graves. Fred held on to take the win, while Baldy came charging through for a fine second-place finish. Don McLaren put the Ed Bowley car five in for third-place money, with Jim Cheney again taking fourth and fifth spot, going to Kempton Dates in the 28th. Now, here is the official order of finish for the first feature of that night. Baldy Baker finished first in the 93. Second was Don McLaren in the five. Third was Jimmy Champagne in the eight ball. Fourth went to Jim Cheney in the 19. Fifth went to Bobby Stelter in the 04. 
Sixth was Jeff Bodine in the rear engine number 99. Seventh was Bernie Grant in the 17. Eighth was Doug Sire in the 72. Ninth was Ronnie Madison in the 80. Tenth was Daryl Peckham in the 44. Eleventh was Bill Rouse in the 24. I think he was Canadian, if I remember correctly. Twelfth was Captain Dates in the 28. Thirteenth was, I think this is Russ Gray in the 85. All they have are last names here, so I'm, but I'm th- I think that was Russ. Fourteenth, Bobby Seelman in the 74. Fifteenth, Jim Muldoon in the 23. Sixteenth, Tommy Rose in the 4. Seventeenth, Freddie Graves in the 37. Eighteenth, Ronnie Buckner in the 36. Nineteenth, Denny Wheeler in the 96. Twentieth, Johnny Clapham in the 9. That is the Joy of 9. Twenty-first, George Boss in the 33. 22nd, Dom Muccio in the 77. And 23rd was the Sweet 16 of Ray San. Now let's go to the second feature. Here is the official order of finish for race number two. First was Freddie Graves in the 37. Second was Baldy Baker in the 93. Third was Don McLaren in the 5. Fourth, Jim Cheney in the 19. Fifth, the dates in the 28. Sixth, Doug Sire in the 72. Seventh, Bernie Grant in the 17. Eighth, Russ Gray in the 85. Nice run for him. Ninth, Denny Wheeler in the 96. Tenth, Tom Rose in the four. Ray Sand improved his finish a bunch in race two. He finished, uh, finished 11th. Twelfth was Ronnie Madison in the 80. Thirteenth, Daryl Peckham in the 44. Fourteenth, Jimmy Champagne in the 8. Fifteenth, Jeff Bodine in the 99. Sixteenth, Bill Rouse in the 24. Seventeenth, Ron Buckner in the 36. Eighteenth, Bobby Stolder in the 04. Nineteenth, John Claflam in the 9. Twentieth, uh, says Crosby 25. Norm, maybe? Somebody will correct me on that. Um, I think it was Norm Crosby. Um, Don Mucho in the 77 and Jim Muldoon in the Nick Virgo 23 rounded out the field. Heats were won by Baldy Baker, Jim Cheney, and Freddie Graves. John Claflin won the con seat. Now, let's let's just look at this for a second, shall we? Um, first of all, the caliber of drivers that we had at this point in the 72 season. I mean, you got Baldy Baker, who I I don't actually know how long Baldy had been racing. But uh, at Oswego, I think just maybe a year. I don't think uh, he might have he might have made some appearances. I think he may have in in, in his I think it, uh, for some reason. I think I remember him and seeing pictures of him in an upright car, like a yellow car, maybe number 22, maybe. Um but as far as the 93 goes, I think it was either 71 or 72. So he hadn't been there all that long. But boy, was that thing fast, right? Um, legend out of, out of Ohio, Baldy Baker. Don McLaren in the Bali Five. First of all, the paint scheme on that car was just, I mean, Facebook has that little emoji with, you know, the two, stars in the eyes you know or hearts on the around the eyes or whatever that's you know uh whatever they call that the uh holy crap that's gorgeous emoji that's i I don't know um i mean that if there was a car ever a car 
that was worthy of that, that raced anywhere in any division. It was the flying fives of that era. Uh, McLaren's, then, of course, you had Macrath, and then uh, you had the Limblad, which was, I mean, it, just stunning. Those cars were just stunning. Um, and Don, I mean, again, legend. Big Daddy, Don McLaren, the Flying Scotsman out of New England. What what a legend. Jimmy Champagne, I mean, we can talk about him all day. Jim Cheney, I mean, I'm just picking drivers out of the lot here. Jim Cheney, a driver who I don't think, honestly, probably will ever get the respect he truly deserved. Um, just because he... It was kind of like he never quite got there or didn't sustain there, I guess. I mean, he, in this era, 72-73, when he was driving the Holinsky 19, I think everybody saw what Jim Cheney could do. And then, but then, you know, when that team went away, you know, he kind of moved around a little bit, and drove some other cars, drove the 93 for a little while. I think he won a winged race or two in that car, but I don't think he ever won a feature at Oswego in it. Um, You know, bought back. One of their bought one of the old nineteen cars, uh, ran that for a little bit, but but at that point, you know, maybe it was, I don't want to say it was outdated because Ronnie Wallace was winning everything, but um, you know, you were kind of getting to that point where, you know, and and so I think the next time Jim really showed off the skill that we knew he had was when he got into the Salve O four. And for uh, 76 and then into 77, he was a threat to win everywhere, won two or three races um, between Oswego and Fulton, and then he had the fire. And, uh, I, you know, it, it, he came back. He won the first race back at Thompson, which, my gosh, I wish I could have been there. I mean, that had to be just incredibly emotional um more so for everybody else than him because you know for him he he said i don't remember anything about the fire so for me i was just getting back getting in the car and racing that race it wasn't you know there wasn't sort of that emotion of the comeback because i don't remember and i didn't have any fear and so it was you know that kind of thing but um you know jim had some some other good runs and um i don't know if he may have won a race or two sort of elsewhere after that but i i always i just always thought jim was one of the best ever sit in a super and he didn't really have too many good opportunities in the modified otherwise i think he would have been you know just great at that too he the, the few that he had you know they the cars weren't necessarily what they needed to be to go run with the the Richie Evans and the Troyers and the Cooks and the Bodines and whoever else of the day, and so I just uh, I think Jim I think Jim Cheney was a far more skilled racer than a lot of people probably would would remember him as just based on the results. Uh, but I mean Bobby Stelder just coming into his own with the Woodshed 04. You had Jeb Bodine there in the rear engine car. Doug Sire, um, gosh. You know, uh, Ronnie Madison, another driver I thought had way more talent than, you know, um, a lot of the guys like that, Ronnie Madison would kind of be a driver that I would put into a category of racers that because 
for the most part, they owned their own equipment and they didn't always necessarily have the biggest motor or the best, you know, were able to, to have what they needed. Um, you would see flashes of brilliance from Ron, but, you know, again, just wasn't able to break through and really, um, even back in that day, I mean, you know, when you're racing against guys like Champagne and, and McLaren and, you know, Ollie Silva and Swifty and um, Baldy Baker and Todd Gibson, I mean, boy, it was it was a stacked field every week. The Concy usually had uh, at least one or two guys in it that you would look and go, you know, those guys could run in the top five on any given week. And so, um, you know, it was those were were big fields. Um, you know, Daryl Peckham is another driver that I I always thought um, it always felt like if 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 he could have been in the right equipment and Jimmy Champagne gave him the chance at Thompson and gosh, what year was that? 78, maybe um, 77, 78. And uh, I guess we've been 77 and, you know, Daryl went out and, and finished what sixth or seventh somewhere, fifth, sixth, seventh um, with uh, Jimmy's eight ball. So the, the roadster when Jimmy was driving his offset. So, uh, you know, you had Dage, you had Seelman, you had, uh, Freddie Graves. I mean, Freddie, Freddie was one of those drivers and, and, and who would have known? I mean, when you, when you think about the trajectory of some of these drivers careers, Freddie was one of those whose driving career was only a chapter in his racing accomplishments, right? I mean, he, the, all the, the super modifieds that he went on to build started that whole sort of Graves chassis. Um, I don't want to call it revolution because I don't think that those cars were really a whole lot different than anything else. It was racing there at the time, but um, they just started mass producing them and they were fast. Um, you know, that was what mid eighties, I guess somewhere. Uh, and then came down here to North Carolina and ended up winning a truck series championship with Ron Hornaday for Dale Earnhardt. I mean, who, you know, who would have believed that? Right. Um, and so you, you think about how smart Freddie was. And again, I think Freddie was one of these people who like Jimmy Champagne was a very engineering oriented racer. Um, the, the roadster, this 37 car, I'm not sure who built this. Uh, I'm not sure if Freddie had a hand in this car or not. And, and, you know, it's, uh, I'd love to know the answer to that question because, um, I always thought that the 37 car, that orange car, just the profile of it. I thought it was one of the, the coolest looking supers and it was so of, the period wasn't it too um all the cars were different i mean you know you you had i think todd gibson built some cars for other people um at the time swifty built one that was i mean yeah you had you know a couple of x swift cars that he had sold that were out there but you know nobody was really mass producing supers at that time in 72 so um 
every every car had its own sort of profile. And I always said that it, uh, you know, I could have stripped the paint off of every car in the pit area in 72 back in that day. And I could still at five years old, or I guess for me, it would have been 73 because that's when I started going. I could have told you who every car was just by the look of the car. That's not true anymore. Now they're all basically the same. Um, and so you'd have a harder time with that. If you, if you took all the, the graphics off, you'd have a harder time walking through the pits and, you know, but back then they're all different. And the 37 was an example of a car that I just thought looked really sharp, you know, had, um, had the little roof on it, you know? Um, I mean, it was more, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't the flying card table that Bentley had later. It was more like a little bit of a, you know, it was kind of like, um, I guess you'd call it an end table, maybe, <laughs> you know, a mini, like a TV table, uh, you know, cause it was, it was obviously much smaller. Um, but, uh, that car was just, and I love the color. I thought it was, it was different there. You know, you had a few cars that, that in that period, not yet in 72, but soon to come was the orange monster 18 for Jim Thompson. And, and you had the 36 car was orange and then you had that car and, uh, you know, there were probably some others that I don't remember, but so Again, just uh, an example of a car that was really emblematic and really just looking at these two pictures on that page. Um, you know, the 93 was an ex-Indy Roadster and the 37 uh, purpose-built super and the profiles are completely different. The roll cages are entirely different. Um, but you know what? Both of the legends that were sitting behind the wheel uh, have the checkered flag in their hand and they're both smiling. So there, there's what was the same that night. Uh those two guys were, were smiling as, as, as bright as you could. Um, okay, let's move on in the program and let's talk about uh, Ivor the Driver. Again, my favorite part of the program. Uh, here's Ivor. Wouldn't you know it, a big race and a shortage of cars. Then to top, top uh, that off, a lot of mechanical breakdowns and heat race problems. Uh, Todd Gibson is having his engine problems this season. Last week, he blew at Sandusky, then blew again at a midweek show. Hope he gets the hang of things and starts running like the Gibson we used to know. It is reported that the 07 will be here tonight with John Spencer at the wheel. Joe Haluka is rebuilding the 06 for Warren Conium, and they'll be here any time. Now, I don't know if Warren ever drove that car to swiggle or not. He may have. I guess we'll find out as we continue through our look back at the season in the weeks ahead. Um, expect to see Brian Osgood anytime now. He should be a good runner. It's rumor time again, and here's a good one. Nolan Swift will hang up his helmet and turn the driving chores over to Bentley Warren. This is 1972, folks. Now, I I want you to to, to think about, again, you know, this is why this is so much fun to do because here's the, the magic question here that, you know, as you're sitting on, on the porch with your favorite beverage and you're listening to this show and we're going way back to 1972. Now we know that what actually happened was that Bobby Stelter got in the car, right? What if, 
what if Nolan Swift had actually put Bentley, what if that would have worked out? What if Bentley would have taken over the 10 pins in 1972? How much of the history of the Oswego Speedway and supermodified racing would be different? Incredible. That's why I love Diver. There were always those rumors in there, and 90% of it never happened, but it was it was great reading. John Clapham has left the number nine for a late model ride in Canada. So apparently this race we just talked about, week three, was the last time that uh, John drove the nine, took over uh, a late model in Canada. Wayne Landon will be at the wheel of the Joya machine again. Uh, so I guess we'll see, we'll hear about Wayne in future weeks here as we keep going through the season, driving the number nine. If I had to predict a track champion, Iver says, for 1972, it would be Jim Champagne in the eight ball. Despite his problems the last two weeks with his oil pan, the car's handling really well, and he appears to be a little quicker in traffic than his nearest competitors. Baldy Baker continues to dominate Sandusky Speedway as well, winning their John Cock Memorial race. Skip Manning showed it this race with a new roadster. It really went. I think that means it was fast. Um, so Ivers' prediction for what would have been week four of the season. Jimmy Champagne, Norm Ackworth, Baldy Baker, Kenny Andrews, and Freddie Graves. Uh, let's see. Racing highlights by John Hill. Um, of the three former Oswego Speedway Supermodified drivers entered in this year's Indy 500, Sammy Sessions fared the best. Sam, still out of Nashville, Michigan. I didn't know there was such a, a place. I wonder if there's country music in that Nashville, too. Raced his Lola Ford to a fourth-place finish, his best 500 performance last Saturday. So uh, Sammy Sessions was running Indy cars at that point and finished fourth. It does not say where, um, but uh, in a race... <laughs> The previous Saturday. Okay. Gordon Johncock, another former Michigan supermodified driver who, along with Sessions, raced here in the 1960s, had nothing but trouble all month long. He blew his fifth engine of the month. Wow, imagine that. Fifth engine of the month in his Gulf McLaren Offenhauser during the 500 that left him in 21st position. Bay Stater Bentley Warren didn't qualify for the race with his own ego offy because a fuel line inside a tank broke, cutting the engine's fuel supply. He is currently seeking another ride for this weekend's Milwaukee 150. He will also drive Howard Purdy's Ford Sprinter in a few USAC races. So here we have on the same page of the program, Ivor speculating that he may take over the 10 pins. And then in the next column, uh, he's owning and operating an Indy car and uh, driving Howard Purdy's Ford Sprinter in some USAC races. Um, Howard Purdy, of course, the owner of the immortal Little Deuce, which I still hope that someday we will see take laps around the track again. I'm going to hold out hope for that. And I hope it's Bentley driving it, by the way, because if you think about it, if you're going to have a driver, if that's ever going to happen, 
and you're going to put an authentic driver in it. Who's left? To my knowledge, I I believe the only two left who could do that are both named Warren. Bentley Warren and Warren Conium. I think either one of those two would be the only two drivers left to be able to take that car around the racetrack. Now, you know, we, we just replayed Warren, our, our interview with Warren Conium a couple of weeks ago. Now, I would love to see Warren do that. I don't know if Warren would be interested in doing that, but I'd love to see him do that. But I mean, you know, let's let's be honest. Who would you rather see in it? Well, for me, either one, right? But most of you, if if I injected True Serum, you'd want you'd want to see Bentley in the car, right? Um, I think Bentley is known more for for uh, driving the deuce than Conium was, even though Conium ran fast and 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 um, still think uh, what a classic. But <clears throat> anyway. Um, so yeah, I I think uh I think definitely Warren either Warren would be great, but there's only two left. So I for whatever reason, the Purdy family has not you know been they they haven't wanted to to sort of let the car Bentley I think is offered to have the car, take the car, put it in his museum, um which to me would be the right thing to do. I mean, if you're go- if you're going to do anything with the car, right, that would be a great place for it. Is what I'm saying. Of course, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to suggest what the Purdy family should do with with. I mean, it it obviously means a lot to them that, that they want to keep it. And and from what I understand, it's exactly the way it was the last time it came off the racetrack. Um, I don't know if it still has the motor in it. I've heard I've heard both heard reports both ways but um it's on on the trailer this exactly like it was the last time jimmy winks ran it which would have been i want to say 1974 maybe uh 74 or 75 one or the other but so again almost 50 years you know it would it, it i would love to see that car Brought back, I mean, it was one of the all-time iconic Oswego Speedway Super Modifieds ever. I mean, uh, anyway, um, so maybe someday. We'll, we'll hold hope out that someday. Uh, Sammy Sessions drove one of Gene White's Firestone Stores cars as a teammate to Lloyd Ruby and Kelly Yarborough. Uh, again, it doesn't say where. John Hill didn't tell us where. Uh, Ruby finished 7th and Kale 10th. Not bad for the third member of the team. It is not likely, however, that Sam will drive the car in any more races. Currently third in USAC Sprint Car Division, driving Maury Ammerling Chevy. Sam is hoping to cop that division's elusive national title. John Cock will continue to drive for the Rich McLaren Cars Limited of England in USAC's championship trail. He will also team with A.J. Foyt and Crocky. Peterson, Crocky Peterson, there's an interesting racing name, to drive a Dodge for Indiana's Ray Nichols and USAC stock car circuit later this season. Um, and uh, John teases us next week, Indy Racer building a car for a Swiggo. Indy Racer building a car for a Swiggo. 
So that's the tease for the next edition of Racing Highlights, which we'll talk about in the next program. Uh, and it also says on this page, figure fast five money game worth $55 tonight. Now, I have no idea what um, figure fast five is or was, but uh, some of you, I'm sure, could enlighten us, and I'm sure one of you will. Um, but uh, I would guess that 55 bucks back in 1972 would have been a pretty fair amount of money, right? Um Shoot, I'd like to win 55 bucks in 2022. Uh, the only problem is it would barely buy me dinner at McDonald's anymore. Uh, okay, editorial. Well, last Saturday, it was announced that first place money for a regular 45-lap feature here at the Oswego Speedway would be raised from $1,225 to a whopping $1,500 starting tonight. I believe this first place money represents the highest paid anywhere in the United States. Now, I, I would guess that that's short track, right? I would have to think, obviously, your bigger series paid much more, but um, highest paid short track, I would guess, uh, feature win money in the United States. It should make for some excited race, exciting racing as the drop from first to second is 700 bucks. Um, I'll get back to that in a minute. Starting tonight and for the rest of the summer until September rain dates for the Saturday night shows will be Sunday night starting at 7. Hopefully we'll never have to run a rain date in 72, but if it does rain on Saturday night, we'll at least salvage the show for that particular week. Uh, Our next special event occurs two weeks from tonight with the running of the 75-lap spring championship, a double-point 75-lap feature, increased purse and trophies for all winners will highlight the night. Don't forget, the first of our Wednesday night modified sportsman specials comes off on July 12th. Interest in these shows is running very high, and we should see some great racing. We'd also like to call everyone's attention to the wanton and needless destruction of private property by many of the boys who come to the Speedway on Saturday night. The management will not tolerate this needless destruction of property and anyone caught in the act will be turned over to the proper authority and charges will be pressed. Now let's get back to the purse for a minute. Uh, in 1972... I would imagine 1500 bucks would have been a really big payday. Um, I mean, again, if you look, if you look at the program and I don't know if, if, you know, if there's anything in the 72 program, but, um, about it, uh, Robert just sent me the ads, but I'll, I'll go through, uh, Actually, um, I'm going to now this is 1974, but it just happened to be handy because it was on the shelf behind me. I'm try. I'm going to try to go through this program. I want to see if I can find um, there used to be an ad and I think it was in the program. I don't know where else I would have seen it for the Speedway restaurant. And it used to have the prices of the um, of the food that that were that was available at the, the old Speedway restaurant, which if you're too young to remember the Speedway restaurant, that's where the Speedway offices are now. Uh, that used to be a restaurant and it was really good food. I don't happen to see anything in this program, but I was going to kind of give you a comparison just to, to tell you, 
but I I seem to recall that uh, you could have gotten a steak dinner for like four dollars or something in in that that period of time. Uh, so you know, think about fifteen hundred bucks, and sadly, the the purse now is what is is it two thousand? Do we even is it even two thousand? Um, you know, it's uh, just tough. I mean, it's back then they used to have a full grandstand too. You know, it's uh, just a completely different time and place. But that is just amazing when you think about it. Uh, it was fifty years ago that we went to fifteen hundred dollars to win. Okay, Carliner and Mechanic at Bally, and I am happy to read this to you uh, because I think the Bowie family, again, one of the first families of supermodified racing. Uh, this week's mechanic story also acknowledges one of supermodified's finest coroners. He's the man who has been bringing us the famous flying five over the past decade. Ed Bowie of Tewksbury, Massachusetts. Ed and his wife, Margaret have two children, Thomas and Susan. Ed first became interested in racing Back in about 1948, when he began working on a race car, which competed around the Massachusetts Ovals. By 1954, he owned his own coupe and once even tried to race it himself, but he found that he liked watching on the sidelines better. We first met Ed when he brought the Flying Five to Oswego in 1959 with driver Smokey Boutwell. In 1960, he was back with Bud Crotty. And in 1961, he had the late great Red Sequin as his driver. Uh, after Red's fatal accident here in 61, Ed sort of quieted down from the sport, but fortunately, he returned to racing full swing a little later. They began racing a swig of regular, should be regularly, again in 1965 with a hot new prospect by the name of Bentley Warren. I'd say, right? Hot new prospect. In fact, it was Ed who really got Bentley going in supermodified racing. Today, Bentley is in the midst of USAC competition. When Bentley built his own car for Oswego's 1966 season, Ed still came back and put various drivers in the seat. Probably the most successful was Fulton ace Ronnie Wallace, who took many top places, many top place finishes with a five. Other drivers to see action with the Bowie five were George Munson. I not heard of him. Barry Cann. Really? Wow. Barry Can actually drove the flying five. Now Barry's first car was uh, the I think it was this flying five that I'm looking at from 1972. I think that's I think that was Barry's first car. I think he bought it and rebuilt it. It was an old Swift car, if I remember right. Um, let's see, Red Barnhart didn't know he ever drove the five either. And now his new driver for 1972 is Don McLaren. Actually, he's not a new driver for Ed, as he's driven several of Bowie's machines over the years. Ed is very high praises saying for Don saying he's tops man of few words. Obviously the flying five for 1972 is the former Nolan Swift car. 10, which had bought over the winter. Ed feels with a new car and driver combination. The five should visit victory lane many times this season. Uh, Ed, along with crew members, Dave Crehan, John Dugan or Duggan, Bill Murray and son, Thomas ready the car during the week for the races at Oswego. Ed claims we're forever working on the car. When asked what the, his greatest moment in racing was, Ed claimed there were far too many events that highlighted his career. Bali has owned several cars which have won championships all over the New England states. 
Ed certainly feels this will be a banner year for the Bowie team. He has put together a car driver and race team that he is most proud. Look for the Ed Bowie number five with Don McLaren at the wheel to take their share of honors at Oswego this year and for many years to come. They're certainly one of the finest assets in supermodified racing. We can stop again for a moment and just reflect on, again, what happened later. You think about Ed Bowie. And, and again, we tie right back to Bentley Warren. Ed Bowie puts Bentley in the Flying Five in 1965. Hot, young prospect. Wow. <laughs> and, and again, who would have known that 19 years later, in 1984, those two would reunite with yet another legendary supermodified, the former Haveron One, and would literally rewrite supermodified history for in about a three-year period. It just unbelievable. I mean, when you think about the history of the division and in just again, certain moments in time, you know, Ed Bowley putting Bentley in the car all those years ago, almost 60 years ago. And you think about, uh, Nolan Swift, you know, what if, what if Bentley would have jumped to the 10 pins at that point in time? I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's really unbelievable to, to think about and consider some of that. Um, who do we have in the racing game this week? We had Freddie Graves in the 37 and Norm Ackworth in the 40 and whoever Robert uh, or whoever, I don't know if Robert, this is one of Robert's original programs, but uh, whoever bought it didn't fill it out. So um, it would be interesting to go back and look next week. If we could get week four, um, the week four results and see if uh, somebody would have won, won a free pass. Uh, I think that's what they were giving away. So uh, what else we got here? Uh, meet new driver, Dennis Wheeler. Well, that, uh, that fits, doesn't it? This is episode 96. And, and Denny obviously was the guy who made that number famous, right? In supermodified racing, there's your standout for the number 96. Um, they happen to profile him in this program. One of the new drivers participating here at the Oswego Speedway this year comes in the form of Dennis Wheeler of Amherst, New Hampshire, soon to be Fulton, New York. Pilot of the sleek-looking purple roadster number 96. Den and his wife, Judy, have no children as of yet, but mother is expecting sometime in July. The 27-year-old speedster began his racing career in 1961, when he went racing a jalopy at a track in Brookline, New Hampshire. Uh, I wonder if a jalopy, would that be sort of like a cut down, like another name for the old upright super, or is that something completely different? Um, let's see. He drove until 1965, when at that time he entered the service for two years. When he returned from duty in the spring of 1968, Ben put together a coupe type super, a coupe type super again i wonder because that sounds more like a modified right and raced at the star speedway and riverland speedway in new brunswick it was with this car that he won the 
his first race ever in the super modified division. Uh, 1969, Dennis bought the old Ed Bowie car flying five and the small world circles back again. This is, I love this. Um, a car which Bentley Warren piloted here in Oswego in 1965. How about that? This is incredible. How many little sort of bows we can tie stuff into just with this uh, week's program. Um, Don made a, uh, Den made a few changes on the car and ran it around the New England Ovals. He first came to Oswego last summer with the car, ran a few shows here at the Big O. Den had always looked forward to coming to Oswego once he got on the track itself. He became very impressed. <laughs> you think? He felt that if he was going to run Oswego regular, should be regularly, in the 1972 season, an all-new machine would have to be built. So over the winter, Den, along with his crew, consider, consisting of brother Jerry Wheeler, Ray Creighton, and Gilly, or better known as Dude, for a nickname, <laughs> put together the current roadster. Dude. They've installed a big 454 Chevy power plant. The 96 itself is one of the finest looking roadsters in the super modified circuit. Denny always had cars that were gorgeous. They usually leave home Friday so they can spend enough time in the Swigo to rest up for the night's racing. Den states the Swigo is the most professional track I've ever seen in my life. Everything is run so efficient. The people at the track are the greatest. Den is hopeful for a very fine year in the super division and would certainly like to start taking some top place finishes. Last week, they arrived at the track with an all new engine and after working hard early in the night, Den finished third in his heat and ran very strong in both races before running into mechanical issues. He is very happy with the progress so far. Den would someday like to go into the USAC division. We hope he will find competing at Oswego will be his major stepping stone into the big time. The very best of luck to Dan and the entire team with the 96 for a successful year racing in Oswego and much success for the future. So there is um, that. I mean, how interesting is that? Uh, so I learned a bunch. I didn't know that Den bought that flying five car that Bentley drove at Oswego in 65. And um, wow, that's amazing. Okay. Um, here's what we're going to do. We got more to go through here out of this program, but uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue with our look back at the 1972 season, week number three, right after this on the Inside Groove. Stay with us. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services End-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we continue with the look back 
1972, 50 years ago, week number three of the season. This is from program number four. Uh, you don't say, and again, these are, there is a candid shot of a driver or something, and then they attempt to uh, make fun or be funny or whatever. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, well, there's a picture of a driver whose back is to us. It appears he was sitting at a driver's meeting um, in the grass near the starter stand, and he's got very long hair, and the caption is, Jack Conley, eat your heart out. I would have liked to have known who the driver was, but um, it doesn't say. Maybe Dom Mucho. I think Dom used to have long hair, didn't he? Um, a picture of Jack Murphy talking to Ralph Denson. Says Jack Murphy to Ralph Denson. Now look, Ralph, don't go blaming my fuel for all that smoke. Uh, Dick Jarrett Jr. talking to... Uh, gosh, I don't even know who this is. Um, it is a driver named Ron, but I don't know. I don't recognize him, but he's wearing a driver's suit. Says Dick Jarrett Jr. Now look, Ron, you just keep following Kenny Andrews and... I won't guarantee you a thing. <laughs> Kenny used to wreck uh, a fair amount. Now, there's also a uh, picture of Jimmy Winks of the 59. And uh, Jimmy is sort of sitting uh, outside the driver's side of the car. We're looking through the car from the passenger side to the driver's side. And um, I can't tell who the guy with the cigar is, but uh, this was one of those where they let you make up the caption, and then they give you a season pass if um, if they chose your, your caption. So, funny stuff. Okay, picture of Freddie Graves after he slapped the wall in the first turn during the first feature. Uh, who would have ever thought that after Freddie slapped the first turn wall in the first feature, after catching a wheel on the front straightaway, he'd come on to win the second 50. And then it, the next picture below it is Freddie again, the battle for the feature lead in the second 50, Freddie Graves held off the challenge of Baldy Baker. Uh, again, the profile on the 37, my gosh. Uh, the setback in the, the driver area, there's very little tail behind him. Um, and then uh, the bottom picture's got Freddie in it too. Two long, low, and lean super modified cars, the Ruins in 99 and Jeff Bodine in the 37 of Freddie Graves. Um, nice pictures there. Nice big picture in the center fold of uh, Jim Cheney coming into the pits with a 19. Um, picture of uh, Cheney racing with Bob Stelter. Uh, racing for fifth in the first feature. Then a picture of uh, Cheney and Stelter with Baldy Baker coming up from behind. And a picture of Jimmy Champagne after he slammed the four-turn wall in a heat race skirmish with Ken Andrews. Um, next set of photos. Uh Oh, Jim Muldoon's out of shape. Uh, this, uh, this is in the second heat first lap. Bob Seelman and Jim Muldoon are sideways on the track. Doug Sire wiggles his way through as Jim Wink slides up toward the fence and Irish Jack Murphy stands on the brakes. You can see the brake smoke off of the left front tire on the, uh, Shamrock 13 in that photo. That's an interesting picture. 
after doing one complete loop, Murphy's car came back around to smack Bob Seelan's rear wheel. Rear wheel. Oops. Shamrock 13 ended up with a crinkled front end in the incident. Uh, social science comes to a swiggo. Uh, eh, we'll, we'll pass on that one. Um, let's see. The big question. Here we go. Who is the one person that has influenced and helped you most in your racing career? Jim Gray. You'd need an entire eagle to publish all the people who have helped. There's just too many. Daryl Peckham, anyone I've ever asked connected with racing has always been a big help. Jim Champagne, there is no one person. Ken Andrews, nobody. <laughs> Ron Madison, Dick Jarrett Jr. Baldy Baker. Nick Rowe, he's my sidekick. Yeah, I, I bet. Bruce Kraft, Maynard Troyer. Think about that. Bruce was racing supers. Maynard was a modified racer, but even back in 72, Bruce is saying Maynard for the most influential person that has helped him the most in his career. Jimmy Winks, my good friends. Doesn't say who they are. Sammy Carista, myself. You learn by experience. Bob Seelman, uh, old Nelly Ward. Kempton Dates, there's been too many. Mark Letcher, I really don't know. There's so many. Probably my wife because she loves me. Aww. Norm Mackrath, I don't think there has been one. There's been many. Don McLaren, so many it's hard to say. Ronnie Wallace, my wife. John Claffham, my wife. I think if I had a bell here, I would see the Letcher, Wallace, and Clapham gave the right answer. Because if you're married, your wife better be supportive um, or it's not going to be good. How keen is your memory? Oh, my goodness, look at this. A picture of a... I guess it's a coupe number 46. That's it looks like it could be about to go over the wall. Um, it was late in September in 1966 and the driver was Billy Bloom. He tangled with the late Bob Smith and a Concy and went end over end out of the ballpark. So he did actually um, take it over the, the wall um, in the first turn. This is the same car. Ron Wallace ran to a third place finish. In last year's Oswego Modified Sportsman 200. Also, the same night Bloom went over the wall, Wallace went into the wall with a Wallace 66 while leading the feature. Again, another weird tie-in. Okay. Um, picture of the Little Deuce racing with a 49 sprint car. It was early in 1965, and it was a Concy. The late Jack Thomas was driving his car 49 Sprinter in the Little Deuce. Um... In the Little Deuce was Jungle Jim Gressley, substituting for the late Ron Lux, who had broken a couple of ribs at work. Gressley ran about a lap of the feature and pulled off. Wonder why. Wow, Jungle Jim Gressley in the Deuce. Who knew? Okay, testing your memory. Uh, Ten questions. See how many of these. I mean, most of you maybe, you know, depends, I guess, if you were going to the track in this era, but... um, Question one, he won the 1966 Oswego Track Championship. Who is he? Well, you can probably take a reasonable guess and get that one right. Nolan Swift. He hails from Lansing, Michigan. Who is he and what car does he drive? Bob Seelman, owner of and pilot of the number 74. Number three, this driver's wife's name is Nora. Who is her husband? Red Barnhart. Number four, who owned the yellow rear engine car 65, which campaigned here in the mid-1960s? I would have known this. 
I would have known this. Ernie June, who is the current owner of Jimmy Wink's Car 59. Let's see. Number five, who was the first driver to ever win the International Classic? Oh, come on. Irish Jack Murphy, of course. 1957. Number six, in the late 1950s and early 1960s, he drove the well-upkept number five to many feature wins. Who was he and where does he live? The answer is Lee Bliss of Rochester, New York, and no, it was not the Bowie Five. Number seven, he took a wild end-for-end ride with a Steve Joy on number nine during the 1967 racing season. Who was it? Answer is... Bob, let's see, Bob Pierce, Bobby Pierce of Fulton, New York. I'm trying to read these upside down. Bobby Pierce of Fulton, New York, um, is the driver who took the ride with the Joy on number nine. Number eight, he won his first feature ever at Oswego in 1966, driving the purple car number 83. Who was he? I would have guessed this even if I thought it was wrong. Wayne Landon out of Michigan. Because who else drove a purple 83, right? Uh, number nine, name four Michigan drivers who have won the International Classic. And I got to zoom in because, again, I'm reading these upside down because that's how they had them written in the program. They would give you the questions and then the answers were below them, but upside down. Weird. Um, name the four Michigan drivers who have won the International Classic. Art Bennett, Dave Paul, Nolan Johncock, and Johnny Benson Sr were the four and again we could stop there for a moment think about that think about how in the early part of super modified history we didn't have a swig of super modifieds we had it, it much like with i feel like there's a parallel here now that i'm thinking about this with today's uh 350 supers because Back then, when when supermodifieds, they weren't at Oswego. Oswego did not originate the supermodified division. Oswego adopted it, and it became the weekly supermodified or the weekly division at Oswego. Uh, but it, you know, early on, it was drivers from Michigan and maybe other places too that came in and 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 wrote most of the early part of the history of supermodifieds at Oswego because Oswego had everybody at Oswego had to buy them or build them, right? So um that's interesting that we're looking at a program from nineteen seventy two and it's asking a question about naming four Michigan drivers who have won the International Classic. So in the first fifteen years of the race to that point, four of the drivers that won it were from Michigan. So um, that's kind of the way it was back then. And today, the the 350 Supers, uh, they did not start at Oswego. Again, they were they've been big in New England for years, right? Um, Oswego just finally decided to start a class a couple of years back, and now, of course. You know, we have a number of them who are basically a swiggle cars, right? But um it was it's kind of the same thing again. A swiggo a swiggo adopted a, something that was already 
big elsewhere. Um, and, and I might point out, by the way, that if you want to follow that through, look at what happened to supermodified racing uh, from the 60s to now after the Oswego Speedway got a hold of it. And so I'd like to think that bodes really well for the future of 350s. As long as they don't screw up the rules and make the cars too doggone expensive to run again, like we did with big blocks, um, if we keep the rules the same, leave the rules alone, then, um, you know, I think uh, we, we got a chance. Uh, and the final question here was uh, number 10. In 1969, these two drivers finished the feature event in a dead tie. Who were they and what car did they pilot? Now, I remember Jack Greedy from reading a program somewhere. Maybe even this. Well, it wouldn't have been this one. I don't have it. But somewhere else, it showed a picture of it. And I remember Jack. I would not have remembered the other guy. It was Jimmy Champagne. Finished in a dead heat. Interesting. What else we got here? Thank you again to Robert Metcalf. And thanks to Larry Trinka, because Larry's been helping me a bunch as well. Robert also sent me number nine. So when we get to Eagle number nine, which would be week eight, Robert has sent me that one as well. And again, I'll read off a list of what we need here in a minute. Let's see. Uh, what else do we have here? We have, uh, oh, the point stand. I knew there was, I couldn't open this. It wouldn't open this picture. Point standings. Um I'll just uh, I'll read off the top 10, then I'll just go through the rest of them. This is, again, after week three in 1972, Baldy Baker was leading the standings, 283. Freddie Graves second with 188. Don McLaren third with 183. Jimmy Champagne fourth with 167. And Norm Ackworth fifth with 150. Now, I think I know who ends up winning the track championship. Don't print it anywhere, people. Let us experience it in real time. Sixth was uh, sixth in points at that point was Jim Cheney in the nineteen seventh was Doug Sire in the seventy two eighth was Bobby Stolder in the oh four ninth Ali Silva in the oh three and tenth Kenny Andrews in the fifty five and and boy you look at that and you can see you've got an Ohio driver leading the points um, local driver in second New England driver third local driver fourth Canadian driver fifth New England driver sixth Canadian driver seventh. Um, local driver eighth, New England driver ninth, and Canadian driver tenth. See the mix? That was those were great days. Um, so Andrews was tenth, and then uh, let's see, we had uh, Bernie Grant eleventh, Kempton Dates twelfth, Ronnie Madison thirteenth, Jeff Bodine fourteenth, Todd Gibson fifteenth, Denny Wheeler sixteenth, Russ Gray seventeenth, Jimmy Winks eighteenth, Bruce Kraft nineteenth, Daryl Peckham twentieth, Harold Brown in twenty first. Tommy Rose, 22nd, Jack Murphy, 23rd, Bill Rouse, 24th, Nick Rowe, 25th, Ray Sand, 26th, Bob Seelman, 27th, Jim Muldoon, 28th, uh, Jim Gray, 29th, George Boss, 30th, Ron Buckner, 31st, Leon, that's Red, Barnhart, 32nd, Paul Baumhauer, 33rd. John Burkholder, Burkholder, 34th. Don Mucho, 35th. John Claffin, 36th. Bruno Marchison, 37th. Mark Letcher, 38th. And, oh, it was Bill Crosby. I think I said Norm. Bill Crosby in the 25 from the um, feature recap. Uh, Bill Crosby, 39th. 
uh, expressing your views. Now, these this was um, this was the sort of letter to the editor part of the program, and it was basically the complaint department. People complain about things. So this one, dear sirs, I would like to make a few comments on last week's race. It may be a little late, but this is just my view. Me as well as a lot of other people, I'm sure, disagree on the way you treated the eight ball. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Everybody in the stands saw that he was all ready to make his appearance on the track for the run of the feature. You can't and you won't tell me you didn't see him. I'll agree all 23 cars were set for the green, but I also think they could have made one more lap in order for the eight ball to get into position. I guarantee Mr. Bacon would have waited for the gray fox. There it is. I knew we were going somewhere of a bias here. Um, I just didn't know where. So I'll read that again. I guarantee Mr. Bacon, that's Norm Bacon the flagger, as if he made all the decisions, right? I guarantee Mr. Bacon would have waited for the gray fox. In other words, if it were Nolan Swift, he would have waited. Uh, does this sound like something? Does this sound like the kind of thing we see on social media about NASCAR today? By the way, um, I can say this because I've seen it happen before. All I can say is you're just lucky, Mister Champagne. Didn't ignore the black flag. Let's hope you don't lose one of your better drivers at your speedway. Thank you for listening to my point of view, as I'm sure many other people feel the same way. Yours truly, an Oswego fan. This is exactly what we see in NASCAR social media every week. Well, if it were this driver. (sighs) Dear Oswego fan, this is the response from the management, which I think George Caruso Jr. was in charge of this, but I'm not sure. But this was the response. I can truly sympathize with your feelings over the eight ball incident two weeks ago. And I can assure you many people feel the same way. But in all caps, don't give me that old stuff you would have waited for the gray fox that just turns me right off and right away your argument becomes very weak and hypothetical those are the first words out of many fans drivers and mechanics over any of a dozen or more incidents you would for swift or you did for swift we're so sick of hearing this hypothetical statement as a basis for argument that it tends to make the whole argument fall on deaf ears So if you have a good argument, don't spoil it by throwing in that baloney about Swift. It just doesn't cut it. (laughs) I wish I had a bell I could hit right now. Uh, That was uh, throwing back the heat there. Um, I don't know. Obviously, I wasn't there. Didn't see it. I'm I just it just always makes me laugh when fans resort to that. Right. If this was this guy. uh, To the management. Why no coolers? I believe it should be a person's privilege to bring coolers. I know a lot of bottles are brought in, but this can be done away with if coolers are checked before coming in. Right now, my supper sits out in the cooler in the car. What am I supposed to do? Bring it in bit by bit for my family or have my family sit out of the car and eat while missing races? At these admission prices, we can't afford to miss any of the events. A truly disappointed mother. P.S. If your food prices weren't so outrageous, I would have to bring a cooler. Oh, boy. We we got some flames being thrown on this page here. Uh, Dear Ma. (laughs) This is the response. Dear Ma. 
I'm sorry our new ruling over coolers had to be sprung on you without previous notice. It was a slip up and we're sorry. What we're trying to do is, one, eliminate all glass bottles entering the track, and two, to eliminate the large coolers that take two people to handle. We don't think it's fair to other fans who don't bring coolers. You'd have to sit next to those cold boxes. It is especially irritating in the reserve seat sections where the seats are assigned every so many feet apart. We don't mind you bringing a small cooler or a bag of sandwiches. That's your prerogative. But let's show a little courtesy to the people who elect not to bring a cooler and patronize our concession stand. <laughs> it's nice to see that we had these these uh, issues going on even 50 years ago, right? That's pretty funny stuff right there. All right. And finally, um, the interview at the end of the program with Norm Macrath, who was the cover boy for the week with the hot pink wheels. Some Do me a favor. Somebody in the supermodified division. Paint the wheels hot pink. Come on. We need some personality here. Okay. Um, here's the interview, or here's the uh, article. Race drivers tend to lead very interesting and exciting lives. Probably no driver in the entire supermodified circuit has ever lived such an action packed life as the man at the command of the Hot Wheels, Hagen Howard Chevy Car 40, Norm Macrath. Stormin Norman and his very charming wife, Marg, live in Mississauga, Ontario with their four children, Brian, Craig, Andy, and Nancy, during the week. Norm owns and operates two golf service stations in New Toronto. Norm grew up around the Toronto area where he attended school and participated in practically all sports. His interests led to motorcycles, boats, and souped-up cars, and Norm would always be the one in the community to come up with the newest car creations. He also sang for the church choir. Now, I didn't know that about Norm. Did you? He sang for the church choir and even won a medal for his talent. Well, man, imagine today, Norm Macrath, American Idol. (laughs) Can you imagine him auditioning for American Idol back when Simon was a judge? Now, that would have been must-see TV. One of the fads at that time was to climb very, very high concrete poles. Very few could ever do it, but guess who did it the best? Norm, naturally. After getting out of high school, Norm's attention was in auto mechanics, and he joined the family business of Macrath Brothers Garage, golf in parentheses, and this is when they started to build the race cars. Brothers Ben, Dave, and Harry did the building while Norm did the driving. Shortly thereafter, he decided to marry his teenage sweetheart, Marg. And with his wife's enthusiasm for the sport of racing, Norm found Marg to give that extra loyal support and understanding to make it all the more worthwhile. Marg looks absolutely beautiful in this picture, too, by the way. Any regular Canadian fan would know pretty much of Norm's tremendous racing career around the Ontario Ovals, where he won countless features and became one of Canada's finest personalities ever. Many times the race drivers were called upon to help promote the racing events and Norm put on some of the wildest stunts to help with the promotion. Oh, I can only imagine. The Canadian National Exhibition Management arranged a situation where a race driver would disc jockey a radio show at Toronto's number one station, CHUM, C-H-U-M. Norm was the perfect choice 
for the job and for an hour and a half while on the air, Norm did fantastic work and really had the listeners rolling with laughter. Oh, I bet. I bet. Needless to say, and, and probably I wonder how much of that would have been even playable in 2022. Needless to say, it was the talk of the town for some time. I bet it was. Other promotion stunts Norm participated in were playing broomball on a zebra. Playing broomball on a zebra. Get that in your mind. Broomball. Do you know what broom? Do, do you all know what broomball? Broomball is a form of hockey. It's played with brooms, and uh, and 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 a, a, a rather large and heavy, I might point out, ball. Okay, I can remember in high school. Why no middle school? Middle school. Uh, playing goalie when we would do broom ball and gym and back then there weren't you know the ball would stay on the you know on the ice so we had a pretty good broom ball team and I think we won most of our games by the time I got to high school and we did broom ball I wanted no part of goalie because that they used to be able to some of the, the the kids would actually launch the freaking thing and um, I feared for my life to be honest but uh, that broom ball on a zebra. <laughs> Racing camels at the CNE against other drivers. <laughs> Racing camels. Oh, where I lost my place here. Racing camels at the CNE against other drivers and even a foot race with ostriches, which he won. He outraced an ostrich. Oh, my goodness. You want fans back at the Oswego Speedway? There's how you do it right there. I mean, let's here's here's what we do. Here's what we do. Get get a bunch of ostriches. Okay, right. Get some ostriches. And here's what we do. We take Rich Worth. We take Michael Bruce. Uh, let's take Sean Cathcart from Skip's Fish Fry. Okay. And uh, and pick somebody else, whoever you, Joe Gozik. Pro- well, actually, it's as good a shape as Joe is in. You could probably have Joe wrestle a bear. Uh, there's the promotion right there, an ostrich race, and get those guys to participate in it. Um, we'll get Danny Kay to promote it because he's great at that stuff. And uh, this thing will have, we'll, we'll, we'll pack the, the, the speedway for that. Um, that's hilarious. Honestly, can you even imagine, um, here in Oswego, Norm has competed in and won several demolition derbies and he and his wife, Marg won a special bed race at Fulton raceway and were named the New York state bed race champions. Now, if you want to know, um, what the bed race was, if you go back to the tribute episode that we did and I'll, I'll, uh, find it and repost it during the week. I'll reshare it. I believe Jimmy Ferlito told the bed race story. It happened at Fulton, and it's one of the funniest things, uh, one of the funniest stories ever. But again, this, if you want people that you got to entertain them. I mean, now, I I would have probably never thought about ostrich races or a broom ball on a zebra. I have to admit, that probably would have been out of my 
Uh, but Danny Kay, uh, somebody, you know, he's as good as he is at promoting things. There you go. There's, there's bring that, bring that stuff back and, and let's, uh, let's get drivers into it. We'll put, um, we got it now. If we're going to do the broom ball on a zebra thing, we got to get Camden on a, got to get Cam on, on a zebra. Um, and, and we'll, you know, what we'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll put a, a, a sign on the zebra that says Jesse's girl, you know, we'll have to, it'll be, have to be a female zebra. Um, we'll, we'll, and we'll make it Jesse's girl we'll, that Cam can, can be, um, that, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, this is why I love it. This is the kind of stuff that used to make racing really funny. Um, uh, for many years, Norm has been a public figure. He has always contributed his time and effort for worthwhile organizations. And that's just one reason why he is one of auto racing's finest and most well-liked individuals. Norm's favorite color is blue while his favorite TV shows are Westerns. When it comes to food, he's really not fussy, although his favorites are beef, chili, and tomatoes. In the winter, Norm plays hockey, curls, and enjoys snowmobiling. He and his wife, Marg, always take an active interest in the family's activities, and with such an active family, it really keeps them busy. Norm's motto in life is play the game. Taken from a Canadian-English church organization known as the Boys Brigade. Uh, Okay. Above all, as Carl or Lyle Howard would say, Norm never goes to the races unless his family is there well taken care of, is what it should be. He's that type of guy. After 26 years of successful auto racing, Norm is still going strong as ever. The 44-year-old driver has plenty of which to be proud. He's got himself two of the finest car owners in the business, Norm Hagen and Lyle Howard, one of auto racing's finest cars and crews. Certainly one of the largest following any, followings any driver can ever boast in all of the qualifications and his skill, sincerity, and devotion to make him a real champion. Um, and that is a, that is the perfect, I, I don't know how to top that. So thankfully, that was the last thing in the program. Wow. Y'all are going to get some, now I want you to take your favorite driver, okay, whoever that is, and just picture him on a zebra playing broom ball, if you will, or trying to outrun ostriches. The bed race thing is another whole that that's, you know, all of this is, is pre classic, classic week entertainment, in the campgrounds, right? And that'd be perfect. Although you, if you're going to have the race, you'd probably have to do it on the track, but you know, you got to be careful what you feed the zebras before you play the broom ball game on the track because, you know, you'd have to, you know, you'd have to throw the caution to clean up and get the speedy dry out there. Okay. <laughs> the spreader. Oh, gosh. Uh, all right. Uh, let's let's dial up the number 96, shall we? I, I mean, I just feel like we should just end the show on that note because it doesn't it doesn't get any better. But uh, let's look at the number 96 for a minute. Now, <laughs> I almost considered cheating and going to look at the current last year's point standings to see about a 96. Um, but, you know, again, part of this is it's supposed to be authentic. It's out of my brain. Uh, and if the brain falls asleep during the segment, it's not my fault. Um Denny obviously was the first 96 I remember, although I believe that uh joe orso might have used the number prior to denny because i think i remember that seeing an old program with joe orso as the 96 and then he became i think 86 
Uh, you know, I think maybe Denny registered the number first or whatever. I don't know. But I seem to remember that anyway. Back in that era, that was sort of the... And then um, I was thinking about this the other day because we did... Uh, Obviously, last episode was 95, which uh, and we paid tribute to Terry Strong. And, and by the way, I, I didn't want to, you know, I, I I feel like we could, uh, again, spend 20 minutes talking about Terry and, and, and all of that. Um, I just want to say that I think that the lap around Oswego Speedway was, first of all, um, there were onions in the room for all of us, right? When, when, when we saw the video of that and how perfect, how absolutely perfect. Uh, so, uh, but that was number 95, but I got thinking that, uh, the strongs, I believe at one point used number 96. I, I, I want to say when Gary Morton was driving and I, and I, I'm, I could be completely off the mark here. But for some reason, I seem to feel like there was a moment or a, or a point in time where they had a 96 on the car. Maybe it was a backup. I don't know. I, 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 you know, it's like time and it gets so compressed when you get older and you try to remember. But I swear I remember Gary in a 96 and I think it was for strong racing. Um, so I'm going to just lay that out there. And of course, if I'm wrong, then somebody will tell us that. But but I seem to recall that because I was thinking that, you know, we and and I think Joey and I, Joey and I kind of joked about, gosh, you know, it's like, Terry, couldn't you wait another four weeks till we got to show 99? So, you know, um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I remember that somewhere, but it's it's for for whatever reason, it it in my head the the last like 15 years and i think it's because i've been away so you're getting everything third hand or you're watching videos or you're you know live stream or whatever but it just doesn't register the way that it did when you were there every week and around all the cars i think is what and then i keep rereading the old 70s programs too so that that helps but um so so i'm gonna lay that one out there and the other 96 that i thought about and again, I'm not 100% sure of this, but again, my foggy brain wants to recall that there was a moment in time where Steve McKnight, after he had raced the, the last 04 car that the Salve folks built, which was a gorgeous car, their last two or three cars, all of their offset, all of their cars were beautiful, but Again, just from a shape standpoint and whatever, I loved the offset cars that they had. The first one that Stelter drove, then the one that that uh, uh, Steve McKnight drove, uh, and um, which may have been a rebuilt version of the Stelter one. I'm not sure, but then the the uh, the last one that they built, I think, I want to say maybe Steve bought it or somebody bought it and Steve drove it. It was the '96. Again, I could be completely off on that, but um, one of you guys will tell me. Uh, but, and again, the numbers, that's, I can't, 
The number 96 is not very often used or hasn't been very often used. Uh, you know, in, in Oswego for whatever reason. So, uh, there's a good list to start with. Okay. And if somebody's racing it today, I'm sorry. I just, the recall's not there. Um, I feel like these last few numbers as we get up to, you know, and through 99, uh, that's the case in a lot of, for a lot of it. Next show will be 97. Those of you who are young fans who are listening to this, may not remember any 97s at Oswego. But there was one who was a staple for decades that we'll talk about uh, when we get to that show next week. But, um, you know, and then 98, you had some, you had several. and 99, you had several. So, uh, you know, it's it, the, 90, the 90 numbers sequence, a lot of them you didn't, you just didn't see a lot of them at uh, at the Speedway over the years for whatever reason. Okay, um, with that, we're going to bring this relatively shortened show to a close. But before we do, I want to touch base on just a couple of things uh, in terms of racing. Because we did start racing at Evans Mills this past weekend the Smack Tour got their first race uh, at Evans Mills off and running and um, 18 cars. Nice field for the first time. We, we put 350s on at Evans Mills for an actual race event. Um, congratulations to Mike Muldoon getting the win. Um, good win for him. Like I said, two beautiful cars um, and... Uh, you know, it, uh, one of them ended up at victory lane, right? Um, Michael Bruce with a great drive from the back of the field, to seventh, um, just a spectacular field of cars, some first time racers in the field, um, looking forward to the upcoming race at Evans mills this coming weekend, which, um, I think Danny K is promoting, uh, for the small block supers, SBS supers. Uh, I hope we get a strong field again. I know that uh, Tim Proud, Camden's dad, is going to be racing the Proud Small Block 54 uh, for all of those shows, and I guess a couple of the Swiggo, according to Cam. Um, and then uh, they're going to put somebody in it for the Classic, I guess, because they obviously want to focus on the Super when it's time, but you know there will be some opportunities for Tim to get into the Small Block. Good for him excited to see uh tim back driving again and i know cam's excited about it as well cam will be back with us next week we'll go through uh, all the latest registrations tell you who's registered for what we have five sbs rookies i think um going into the season that's incredible love seeing the growth in that division that division and the 350 division huge growth um and and i love seeing that and uh you know, the, the big blocks, I think are, yeah, I think they're going to struggle a bit. I think we're going to struggle with car count, but we'll see. Um, we're, we're, we're going to be optimistic and we're, we're looking forward to some good racing. Uh, you know, but, um, I, I'm not seeing new faces. I'm not seeing, you know, I guess we'll, we'll see as we get started here who, 
you know, who comes out. We got the three top wing shows that John Nicotra uh, ha- are pu- is putting on in his his group. Um, and uh, those shows, we we I hope we see 30 cars. Um, you know, I, I, I think if we get to 20 on a weekly basis in the small in the regular Oswego shows, Oswego rules, big block shows, uh, if we get to 20, I think we're doing good. Uh, and, um, so we'll see how, how that all goes. Uh, but, um, Midwest super modified series opening at Lorraine. So, uh, whatever information we get on that, we'll pass along, uh, on the next show, by the way, if, again, if you want the results from the, um, the smack race, uh, aswigospeedway.com has them right. I think right on the front page. So, uh, you can go check those out. But uh, really, really strong participation in that first race. Looking forward to the SBS race there. Hope it's a good run and uh, excited for Oswego. Um, obviously, thank you again to Oswego and Flow Racing. I'll, I won't miss anything, even if I'm not there. Um, and uh, so looking forward to, to, to catching all the action from the Speedway once uh, it opens up on Memorial Day weekend. So uh cam will be back hopefully uh this 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 next show we'll uh try and figure out how to how to get him uh hooked up and again we're we're trying to stay with tuesday nights as our uh as our premiere date for the new shows each week um we obviously didn't hit that mark last week it took me a little longer to go through that show um for a number of reasons uh to get that one out um and uh, I actually, in a way, kind of felt bad that when I did put it out, it was it kind of coincided with uh, the service and all of the the other things, which I didn't mean to do. It was just and to all of you uh, who tune into this show every week. Thanks to our sponsors, uh, Indie Performance Composites, Jeff West um, and uh, Sean Cathcart, Skips Fish Fry, and of course uh, JNS Paving, Rich Worth and his group. Until Next Tuesday, uh, when we premiere episode 97 of The Groove, I'm Tom Baker. Have a safe and healthy week, everybody. God bless. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit RaceChaserMedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.